Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Today's encounter is kind of an unusual one. Uh, We slightly mentioned it last week because it was right smack in the middle of an encounter uh, we were focusing on when Jesus uh, raised uh, the 12-year-old girl back from the dead. Now, this encounter is of a young woman with a serious and painful uh, problem of a 12-year hemorrhaging or bleeding issue. Now, my mom's side of the family had a tragic ending similar to this particular story. Just a little little difference. I don't get it. But my mom's birth mom, Dorothy Four Minor, 28 years old, had already had three uh, children before David Allen was born in 1944. But because of complications with bleeding after the birth of David, my my mom's birth mom died in early 1945 as a result of this continual hemorrhaging. And she's buried at the Fairview Cemetery by John Young Jr. High. But my grandpa, Minor, farmed out to three older kids for a while because of the death of his wife. And he adopted out David uh, to a good family because I I don't know all the details there. uh, But they renamed him uh, Richard Zabo, uh, who died on October 9th, 1998. My parents and I went to the funeral up in South Bend. And I asked my mom who he was and why we were there. And it was there that she shared with me about her full biological brother and what happened to her uh, birth mom. It was just, I just didn't know. Uh, Back in those days, people kept that that stuff to themselves. Uh, But this apparently lonely woman in this story, we don't know if she had much of a family, but we know she lived a very isolated life because of her bleeding issue. The Old Testament law didn't allow her to be around uh, people. She spent uh, all of her money on doctors and and to find a cure, but but nobody or any amount of money uh, could heal her. Uh, During that time in history, she would be called a social outcast. She was unwanted. And with this, uh, t- uh, with this type of social disease, she was not even allowed to be in the temple to worship. Imagine not only her physical, but her, her emotional state of mind, because it couldn't have been too good for her at, during those days. Probably no friends, definitely no, first, no prom, no first kiss, no job uh, to make a living. Don't know if she had a husband or children, uh, but most likely not. But one day she hears about this Jesus that's been healing people with all kinds of issues. You know, paralyzed walking, freedom from demon possession, the mute are able to walk, leprosy is being healed, a blind uh, people are able to see. In days prior to this event, if you remember a few weeks ago, Jesus travels across from Tiberias, right across the sea, to the Gadarenes to, to, uh, uh, to accidentally meet up with a scary, violent, possessed man with a lot of demons. And they asked Jesus, son of the most high God, would you please let us go into those pigs over there? And Jesus allowed it to happen, and they all ran down those steep hills right into the the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they drowned. And so sometime in that time frame, Jesus gets back into the boat, and he sails either uh, down to Capernaum, back across to Tiberias, or down to Magdala. uh, And he runs into Jairus, who happens to be a high priest uh, uh, or an official of the, the Jewish religious leaders here. Jairus, if you remember, he 
is, is this, the complete opposite of the demonic man we talked about a few weeks ago about our, uh, the woman in this story today. Jairus is a leader in the Jewish community. The woman is a nobody. Jairus, uh, his 12-year-old uh, daughter was deathly sick. This, this woman has dealt with her issue, her pain, for 12 years. And as soon as Jairus finds Jesus, uh, most likely the same religious leaders who oppose Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I beg you to heal my daughter. So he goes from hating Jesus to somebody who, I need your help. Jesus goes with him, and as, they walk, or as they're walking, this woman pushes through the crowd uh, just to touch, not Jesus, but his clothing. Mark chapter 5, verse 24, if you have your Bibles, or Luke chapter 8, either or. But it says in verse 24, Jesus went with him, Jairus, and a large crowd pressed around him. And a woman was in the crowd who had a bleeding for 12 years. Everywhere that Jesus went, he drew a crowd. Even those who did not believe that he was who he said he was, uh, they showed up as well. In every family, in every crowd, and community, and state, and country, and even within the body of Christ are some who do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Or if they do, they have yet to receive him as their Lord and Savior. But something is keeping them, something is keeping you from Jesus. What is it? What's keeping you from having that intimate encounter with him? Now, we, we know Jesus walked the earth. Uh, his name, activities, followers, and impact on society are written in the docu documents of history, both non-Christian and Christian alike. But not everybody agrees with whether or not he was who he said he was. I am the son of God. I am the alpha and the omega. I am God in the flesh. I am the savior of the world. My encouragement to you is that you continue searching him out with all of your heart, and I guarantee you, you will find him. And so if you go follow on here, verse 25, it says, The woman in the crowd had a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal for many doctors uh, and for many years spent everything she had to pay them, but her condition never got better. In fact, it got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched, touched the fringe of his robe. She thought to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. And Jesus realized at once uh, that power had gone out from, him, uh, out from him, so he turned to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Just picture what's taking place here. Who touched me? I don't know if there was just dead silence after that, but the disciples said, you, you see this large crowd pressing against you and you ask who touched you? Really? I mean, think about that for a second. You're in a large crowd of people and you're trying to get people are trying to get close to you. What do you think's gonna happen, Jesus? Come on. In essence, what they're saying to him, you know, you're kidding, right? I, I probably touched you. I was, I was trying to get Peter's attention. I accidentally ran into you, Jesus. I'm sorry, but I, I didn't mean to do that. Man, it's getting kind of late. We need to get pushing through this crowd. We gotta get to Jairus' home because you said you'd help his daughter. And then verse 32, it says, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. I know it makes it sound like Jesus didn't know anything here, but he knew. He already knew. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You have been healed. 
And so this religious ruler, Jairus, no doubt used his position uh, to get to Jesus. He basically cut to the front of the line. And that's in verse 23, it says, please come quickly. You know, my daughter is dying. Remember, he's a high uh, official here. He can do what he wants. But Jesus grants his request. And can you hear Jairus and his servants, you know, hey, clear the way. Clear the way. We, we've got an emergency. We, this is a life or death situation. Get out of the way. I don't care what's going on with you, woman. Get out of our way. My daughter's sick. Somewhere along the way, Jairus' plans are interrupted by this woman. She didn't intend for Jesus to stop and take notice. Remember, she wanted to do this secretly. Nobody else would have noticed, though. Nobody else would have noticed. All she wanted to do was touch his robe, uh, believing some of his power would flow out of, out of his clothing into her body to heal her from her embarrassing condition. And it's interesting that a woman in her condition was able to walk through the crowd. This is not uh, the sort of thing that can be kept hidden with uh, third world sanitary conditions. And it's not only the world that isolated her. The Old Testament law did the same thing. It was very explicit on what it meant to be unclean. No one was allowed to touch her. She knew this as well. And any bed that she slept in, a chair that she sat in, utensils and dishes that she touched, anything that anybody that she may have brushed up against became unclean. And if anyone even touched them, they, they too were ceremonially unclean and would have to go through a bunch of rituals to make themselves unclean or unclean from her curse. In her day, Jewish tradition excluded um, uh, the, the, the unclean from the synagogue. She was never allowed to sing or pray or be comforted by the scriptures in the company of, of neighbors and immediate family or church family if she even had any at this time. And think about her pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, church. How, how many times did she look out her window and say, I, if only I could be normal like the rest of them. If only I could get out there. She had to deal with her guilt and shame and embarrassment and loneliness, thinking that this somehow was her own fault, that she was unclean. Every waking moment, she's, you know, what have I done to deserve this? And yet, no answer came for her. Twelve years of this. She hears that Jesus can perform miracles, is in the area, and so why not give it a try, right? Why not try? And so she wrapped her veil around her face so nobody would recognize her, left her isolation, and she looked for the crowd. The, the very thing that she feared, too many people. But uh, pushing her way through it, uh, she saw him for the very first time. She gets close enough to brush up against him, but she doesn't even want to do that, but also brushes up against hundreds of other people. Now, like all Jewish men, Jesus would have wore tassels uh, at the end of his robe, especially being a teacher, a rabbi, but, and I'm sure uh, he had you know, one of those white robes on with that blue sash that we have hanging in our you know, pictures at home in our Sunday school classrooms. That's what Jesus looks like. Um, but, but in her face, he reached down when no one was paying attention and touched the bottom of his robe. And she knew immediately, she knew immediately that her plan had worked. This isn't the first time, though, this happened. If you go back to chapter 3, it says, for, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Maybe that's why she showed up on this particular day, because she had heard what had happened uh, in this, these other cities. And, and later on in chapter 6, it says, and whenever he went into villages, towns, and countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Maybe those people in this particular area chapter 6 heard about what happened to the woman and so the news the word is getting out that all you got to do is touch him and you're going to be healed anyway Jesus stops 
He knew exactly what road she was going to be on and at what time. With her and, and Jarius, it was, a, it was a perfect storm, if you will, a perfect storm. Uh, he knew both of them would be around the same area, and it gave him the opportunity uh, to have two encounters that would change two lives forever, forever. And that's why he traveled when he did. He knew that her plan had worked. Her faith uh, overcame her fear. And in the midst of another person's crisis, Jairus and his daughter, Jesus restores this woman back to society by publicly declaring her clean. She could now have community with other people. She knew immediately that some power had, that she had never felt before entered her body and her bleeding stopped. So that long nightmare of pain and isolation was over. She had, uh, she had rejoined the human race. And now she's thinking, if all I have to do is slip away unnoticed. But that wasn't going to happen either. It says in verse, uh, chapter 8 of Luke, it says this. Some, uh, basically, it repeats what happened. Jesus turns around again. He says, someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. And in those few words, Jesus said, a tremendous allow, a lot to her. Something very valuable. Did you catch it? Someone touched me. The, this woman who had been in isolation, a nobody, was now a somebody. She was a somebody. By touching Jesus, he changed her status forever. She is no longer just a sick, unclean, uh, nameless woman. To Jesus, she is a somebody. Church, when, when will we actually believe that when Jesus died on our behalf, he was telling us that we are a somebody to him. We matter to him. We are of worth to him. He knows when we're hurting. That's why it says, I know that power has gone out from me. He understands that power is what that woman needed, that we need. Power to be healed, power to be clean, power to, to be whole again, a power to face the world again and belong somewhere. And so Jesus gives her and us that power, but Jesus never gives without some kind of cost to himself. Think about her encounter with Christ that changed her life forever. She comes before Jesus trembling uh, with fear, embarrassed, lonely, uh, knowing she's unclean. She lived for years outside of society and is now at the center of attention. And falling at the feet of Jesus, she tells her story about you know, her bleeding and the pain and the isolation and the years of searching and all the expense, uh, the touch that happened there, the power, the healing. She shared her encounter of what happened in her life in that one moment. Jesus didn't do or say anything, though, that caused her to fear. And, and it says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, we might see her as a coward, uh, one whose faith is so weak that she didn't even approach Jesus directly face to face. Instead, uh, she goes literally behind his back, hoping that nobody will notice. But when we see fear and desperation, what does Jesus see? He sees faith. He sees, he sees somebody hurting. And for 12 years, she's been let down with all of these promises of cures uh, that cost her a lot of money, and all her hope has been evaporated. And yet, when Jesus comes to town, she had just enough faith and courage to approach Jesus. And that small faith was all she needed. You think maybe that's why Jesus said just have the faith the size of a mustard seed? You guys, you have any idea? That's the smallest seed there is. Jesus said, just, just that amount of faith. That's all it takes. So Jesus tells her to go in peace. 
The Hebrew word uh, for peace is shalom, as many of you know. It's more than just a goodbye because shalom or peace is a word for wholeness or completeness. She is now complete. She is able to have community with the world and with God. Jesus gives this woman more than that physical healing, though. He, he makes her whole. He, she's now uh, clean where she can have community with her, her neighbors and, and shop in the marketplace and attend you know, the church of her choice and, and with her friends and family, and she now realizes that she, you, and I don't have to come to Jesus and have our life together before that happens. You come to him the way you are, and he does something with it. Everyone we've looked at had a life of chaos and sin and loneliness and doubt. And in this story in Mark chapter 5 and the parallel in Luke chapter 8, we've got two people with something in very in common here. Jairus is, you know, this wealthy leading citizen um, uh, 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 fearing for his daughter and this unnamed woman who's not at the top of the food chain here uh, who spent all she had on false hope to cure her bleeding and isolation and they both searched Jesus out. Even, even with these stories, we're all still wondering uh, uh, what kind of a real relationship with Jesus would look like with, for us. Now, many people, even those that worship here, have their doubts uh, about faith issues, they, so, so they don't take God's word or Jesus, uh, relationship with Jesus seriously because they don't really understand or know what God and Jesus want to do for us. We're kind of afraid of that the unknown, but even though we, we've said yes to him, that we still struggle and stumble through life, we may believe in God and Jesus, we've read the stories and we've heard all the you know, personal encounters that people had with Jesus, but, but we're not exactly sold out to him. We've given, we, we, we've, we haven't given him our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength to Christ. And the reason is that many of us don't understand the true nature of God. We can read these encounters in the Bible all day long and still miss what God is trying to do in you and through you. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 1, it says Jesus is the invisible or is the image of the invisible God. And so when you see Jesus, you get a look at the character of God. And so if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. Her story is a lot like our own in that we, you know, we seek out healing from other sources, which isn't you know, a sinful thing to do. God does use doctors and medications for healing, and if it doesn't, we're, we're on our knees praying. But I guess that all depends on how bad off and afraid we are, who and what we go after first. Like this woman, we come to Jesus feeling unclean and afraid, and we feel cut off from those around us. No one understands what we're going through, so we feel all alone. And it might be because during our trials, we have turned our hearts away from God, because why would he do this to us, right? Maybe we're afraid to approach Jesus because of the sin that we keep falling into, and we think of ourselves as Paul thought of himself, the worst of all sinners, therefore God doesn't want anything to do with me. But we come to Jesus sick, unclean, worn out, afraid. We've tried all the doctors and all the self-help books that we can get our hands on. And like this woman, we try to come to him in secret. We want his healing, but we're afraid to have an intimate uh, encounter with him because people might take notice. We stand around the edges of the crowd uh, that surround him. We go to church uh, late and we leave early. We sit someplace where nobody will take notice of us. We read our Bibles, but we read them all alone and we tell no one. We sing uh, our worship to God under our breath because we don't want anybody to hear us. And out of loneliness, we try to connect with him with what little faith that, faith that we have. And, and he does, he always does what he does best. He brings to us what we need. And it's spiritual healing. 
It's not about the physical. Church, share your experience by telling the world, uh, let them see your transformed life. You, you were sick and unclean and alone, and Jesus changed all that. That in and of itself will draw people to the Lord that you claim to worship by your example, by your story. We tell you know, our stories not just once, but every opportunity that we have. Jesus changed you. He did something for you. So why not share that? Why not spend your time, your conversations, your, your time with family, friends, whomever, talking about what Jesus did in your life to change you for the better? Why don't we start spending time on that? Like the woman, what, what he says to her also applies to us there in verse 34. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just like her, he gives us our hope back. He restores us to God and family. No man can give hope and change and, and belonging like that. Only Jesus can pro, uh, provide that. Like this woman, we've got to overcome those obstacles that keep us from Jesus, our hopelessness, you know, our fear, the crowd, whatever it may be that gets in our way. Her experience shows us uh, what everyone needs to be doing when we come to Jesus. Because we cannot uh, be timid in approaching him. We cannot allow the enemy to trick us into being afraid of our holy God. He wants to have that relationship with us. As a parent, I would much rather my kids come to me uh, when, they, when they are afraid, knowing that they've done some wrong, and talk to me about it. Don't you, the rest of you parents want the same for your kids? When they know they've done something wrong, you want them to come to you and talk to you and tell you what's going on in their life instead of trying to get advice and wisdom from out there in the world because uh, that's a wrong place to find self-help. You're gonna get messed up even worse especially with the world that we live in today. But these stories are what Jesus, uh, these stories are what Jesus sees beyond the physical here. Jesus, he begins his ministry in a synagogue, reading from Isaiah. It's, this is found in Luke chapter four. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me uh, to the proclaim freedom uh, for the prisoner and recovery sight to the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There are a lot of things you will discover when you actually have an encounter with Christ. You will discover that, you, that he knows you exist. God knows you do. He, he cares what's going on in your life. God is concerned with every person and every crowd no matter what your issue. Think about what Jesus did here for this woman. He's on his way to take care of another a personal crisis and in the midst of all those people, he took notice of the one individual as though she were the only person in the world. Every el everyone else in the crowd would have ignored or chased her away, but not Jesus. He gave all of himself to her. He didn't attach some stupid label to her. He didn't pull others aside and whisper gossip and slander. You know, it was that unclean bleeder that touched me. He didn't do any of that. And what's amazing is what, he's, what he did do. I, I don't know if you guys remember the names, labels that you were called when you were a kid, maybe even as an adult. Uh, here are a few things that I was called growing up, okay? Uh, skinny, bird legs, pizza face, um, hillbilly, because during the summertime when I wasn't in school, I always wore cutoffs, I didn't wear shoes, I barely wore a shirt, and they, everybody thought that our family was poor because little Timmy didn't have clothes. Um, but even, even so, you know, something else that happened to me as a, as a young kid, but I never, ever questioned God's love for me. Ever did I question that. And maybe it's because of the home that I was brought up in. 
We, we, we love to throw our labels at people, and it's usually be, to feel better about ourselves or to, to project or distract from, uh, from people noticing our issues. But that makes us miserable people. God sees people individually in need of a relationship that offers peace and forgiveness and compassion and understanding and grace and acceptance. God loves each of us uh, as if we were the only person there is to love in this world. And if you're wondering if God can hear you, or you being one of you know one one person and six billion people on this circle called Earth that God suspended from the heavens, uh, when you kneel and, and to pray after the day is completely done, when you're all alone wondering whether or not God can hear you or is He listening to you, the answer to that is yes. The Bible promises that in Chronicles. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He's always wanting the best for us because he knows what's going on. God created us to have a relationship with, with, with him. He, he, we are created in his image. He will always be reaching out to those who doubt for whatever reasons why, uh, and when they search for him with all of their soul, with all of their heart, Jeremiah says he's gonna be found. And when you experience his presence and power in your life, will you begin, it's then that you will begin to see in real time your life begin to change. That's the power of God's spirit. That's how powerful he is. This promise is, is to everyone, not just to a particular race or a country, but all people who desire to have a relationship with his son and live their life in faith. And so uh, when you encounter Jesus, it's not by accident. It's intentional. Jesus was on this road intentionally to meet Jairus and this woman. And because of those two encounters with Christ, not only were these two people changed, but those many in the crowd were changed because of their experience. Experience. There is a huge difference between you know, the, uh, having a little faith, a touch of faith, and an incidental bump in the crowd. It's, it's, all, it's all on purpose with God. When what gets God's attention is faith and allowing our encounter with Christ to transform us. It, it's nothing that you and I do. We move towards Jesus in faith, and that faith is in trusting God that he is who he says he is, and then we start living for him, and man, great things begin to happen. doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in this world, because you will. For those of you who have tried everything under the sun to change, to overcome some sin, some toxic relationship, unhealthy, spiritualized, when you finally figure out that nothing else in this world is going to work, would you please come to Jesus Christ? Would you come and have that encounter with him? Would you just seek his face? Because when you do with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, you will fall in love with him and not turn back. It is God and his spirit and Jesus who changes people. This Jewish leader, Jairus, no doubt was one of those leaders that were jealous of Christ, and they did everything that they could to get rid of him, and now he's in great need as a parent to, to, for his child's healing, and who is the first person he comes to? Christ. And so he pursued him. He set aside all of his status, all of his pride, and had an encounter that changed his life 
in his family's life. This woman pursued every other option for years before she chased after God, and in an act of desperation, she goes after Jesus, overcoming her fear, her doubts, her pain, as she quietly sneaks her way through the crowd. But both of them had tried everything else before they went to Jesus, but they still went after Christ. They experienced him through a personal encounter, and their lives both physically and spiritually were changed. That's what God does. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's who the Holy Spirit, every one of them, that's what they do. They want to do things for us that will change us for the better. If you just give them a chance. So church, I ask you this question. Where are you in this crowd? Are you in the middle of it, on the edges of it? Why are you here? Is it because you're feeling afraid, confused? You have doubts, overwhelmed with sin, struggling to forgive others? What brings you into worship today? What is it? Why are you thinking about Jesus? What are you hoping will happen? What kind of relationship are you wanting? Paul shares with us something very interesting in Ephesians 2. For we are God's workmanship. Therefore, remember that formerly you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For Jesus is our peace. we, We all have access to the Father by one spirit. And in him we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Believers have the spirit of God in them. He wants, he wants to take up residence in here. Church, that passage only happens for you when you personally make the decision to experience God and to follow Jesus and trust them. You've got, you have got to make this personal. Uh, we can't do this for you. We can challenge you, we can try to encourage you, but man, you've got to make the decision. Are you willing to push through the crowds? Your fear, your doubts, your blindness, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, whatever it is that's keeping you from Jesus? In verse verse 33 it says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at the feet of Jesus, and she told him what she had done. But why was she afraid? Did she think that Jesus was gonna hate on her? Did she think that he was gonna take away the healing? And why did Jesus, why didn't he just allow her to slip away? I've always wondered that, why? Nobody, nobody would have known. Jesus wanted her to, to know that she had a friend, that he was the savior. He wanted her uh, to assure her that he loved her and that he forgave her. Jesus wants to make this personal, but he also makes it. He wants us to make it personal, but he also makes it personal himself. By the time this encounter was over, she experienced more than just a physical healing. Jesus knew uh, there was a greater need, and so he called her what? Daughter. Verse 34. That's family. He made it personal. She now belongs. She's, She's a somebody to Christ. And God cares for every individual and every every crowd, no matter what the issue. Jesus' story is this, no matter if our sickness is physical, emotional, or spiritual, he makes it personal. And when we trust and approach him, we begin to feel his power. Not always physically, but, he wants, uh, but, but what he wants the, for us the most. Spiritual healing. 
That's why we come before him and worship, knowing with confidence that he will hear us and give us what he knows that we need. That allows us to tell our story uh, for other, to other people so that they can experience the same kind of spiritual healing that we've been uh, introduced to. Church, we are a child of God, and I say that purposely singular. We are a child of God. Every one of you are, is a child of God. We are somebody to him. He is the one who bought you with his blood. We, you, belong to him. We don't belong to this world. We don't belong to labels. We belong to Christ and Christ alone. This particular time, we're going to listen to another uh, testimony by Margaret, and I want you to listen uh, carefully to her story and how she learned how to be, belong to the body of Christ here. My name is Margaret. I had an encounter with Jesus that showed me that God loves me. Prior to this encounter, describe your faith. I was born and raised all my life as a Catholic. And um, before my encounter, for, the, for a few years before my encounter, I, I wasn't going anywhere. So I would say I kind of drifted away from any faith. What was going on in your life? Um, I was in a marriage that was very good in the beginning. Um, we did a lot of the things, checked a lot of things off of our bucket list, traveled, built our, uh, bought property, built our dream home, um, did all kinds of things that we wanted to do together. And over the years, our marriage just continued to deteriorate, drift apart. Um, there was isolation. There was no communication. Um, it became very hard. On November 15, 2014, I found myself packing my things up and I drove away from our 75 acre farm, our dream home, our life together, um, very frightened, crying, very afraid. Was I doing the right thing? Um, should I be doing this? drove straight to my brother and sister's house and I didn't know what to expect there and when I got out of the truck they were both standing there waiting for me at the door and I spent 10 months with them then I moved to North Liberty and a friend of mine a dear friend of mine contacted me and asked me if I would attend church here at North Liberty with her. She was being called um, to be there on December 21st of 2014, the date of her husband's anniversary, or the anniversary of her husband's death. So I came willingly to help her, fully expecting that I was going to be here all about her. And we got seated and service started and she began to cry. And I reached over very silently and just held her hand very tightly. 
And before I knew it, I was trying to sing the songs and I couldn't even speak because I started to cry. And I realized that every word that was being spoken through that song was just reaching out and grabbing my heart. So I had this feeling, this sense all around me that there was just arms around me. Taking care of me. And protecting me. I never felt that before. So we were there taking care of each other. Um, from that day forward, I've been here every Sunday. Um, I would even rush home from Chicago to be on Wednesday nights. I've volunteered wherever I could. I've reached out and met as many people as I could. I became a greeter. Um, I just really threw myself into this wonderful experience that I was having. I bought a study Bible and I couldn't stop reading it. Um, helped out with women's Bible studies. Um, and I've really built a life in this church and built a lot of what I hope to be lifelong friendships and um, have worked on my life and, and trying to get my life together. Where do you think you would be now if you hadn't had this experience? Totally lost. Um, wandering. Not knowing what to do, what direction to go in. Um, making poor choices. I've learned how to make better choices and how to give them over to God. That there's a higher power, God, who loves me and is there to take care of me. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.